That, you know, it's like how kids talk about baseball players. That's how we talk about albums. We're just trying to postpone mortality. They need that to fill some kind of void that they have. The search for the Yeti. He's a duck. <laughs> well, don't interrupt. Welcome to the Smashing Pumpcast. I am Frank Garcia Hale. I'm Pat O'Brien, and we're so glad to be with you today. Um, we have an exciting episode in store. We're going to be doing some listening and some talking about to an old chestnut from the vaults, the SP vaults. We are going to listen to the self-titled cassette, and we'll be doing some commentary on that. This episode is going to be a little different from the last episode we did because we'll just be playing clips because apparently doing commentary over the songs and editing is a complete nightmare. Yeah, so we've we're getting we're growing by the day, we're learning, we're becoming more streamlined, better better men, better people and better uh, audio technicians too. Correct. Uh, we're trying to deliver the best audio quality to your ears. To your front door of your right ears. Right there. Like yep. we're milkmen. Yep. We're this generation's milkmen. Yeah. Bringing you podcast goodness. Yep, that kind of is true. I mean, like, whereas the milkman used to be, you know, I guess, uh, the sort of reliable standby that you would see every day, that's sort of your friendly podcast host now, giving you some some nice warm uh, audio milk for your ear mouth. Mmm. Yum, yum, yum. the sun. Yep. Yeah, speaking of sun. Speaking of. <laughs> speaking of sun. All right, let's go ahead and get into this cassette. So, uh, here are some facts about this self-titled uh, The Smashing Pumpkins cassette. Uh, and also, we should just say thanks to our friends at spfc.org, who we probably should have been referencing a lot sooner. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, a treasure, to help us out with some treasure trove of, of information. Oh, yeah. You know, I thought I was a pretty big Pumpkins fan, but boy, howdy, did this really school me. So the self-titled cassette was released on 3-28-1989, and about 500 copies were made. It was a self-release tape sold at early shows. The artwork was done by our very own William Patrick Corgan, Billy Corgan at the time. It was produced by Quentin Sanbria and Billy Corgan and engineered by Paul Chabala. I don't know if I'm saying that right. As someone who always has their last name butchered, uh, I am sorry. But the session is known as late 1988 Schwa Productions because it was recorded at Schwa Productions uh, studio. So, Pat, uh, there are conflicting stories, apparently, that the artwork was done by Billy or James. And it says on spfc.org, that they uh, they have a little note here that says they believe it was Eha as he was a graphic design student before joining the band. That was my thought too because I do I I, I have seen um, posters or at least a poster that I could think of that I know was designed by him. My guess, if you had to put a gun to my head, which I don't think that's necessary for this, but if you had don't to... Don't do that. Yeah, why, would, why, why would you do that? Why would you put a gun to Pat's guns, head? But if someone felt Jesus, the need relax. to... Yeah, be a big shot, be, you know, uh, I would You're guess, going to a show, and they put a gun to your head, and they're like, hey, name, uh, who do you think did the artwork to the self-titled cassette? I'd be like... And you're like... I'm just here to see the pumpkins, right. dude. I'd be like, you know, I'm interested in graphic design and 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 album art just as more than the next guy. But is this really necessary? That's probably what I would say. But then after that, when they said answer, I would probably guess 
James, um, just because it, it feels reminiscent of this, uh, this, there's a show poster I'm thinking of that I know he designed and it doesn't, um, uh, yeah, I didn't know that Billy, um, did that sort of thing. I knew he did little doodles and he definitely is heavily involved in the, the visuals of, you know, all, probably all of their albums and, 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 uh, t-shirts and all that stuff. But my guess would have been James. So that's, that's, if anybody knows for certain, let us know, please. Supposedly the master tapes of the session were lost, but in the deluxe reissue of Pisces Iscariot, it came with a bonus recreation cassette of this cassette, which is labeled the first demo. If you ordered it through the website, you got it as a digital download as well. But uh, I, I remember when the I really kicked myself for not buying the reissue with that cassette because I thought that was like a really cool keepsake. But I, I guess they just had to use the files that they had which are kind of the low res quality versions that we ripped from YouTube and they just use that for the reissue of it. I don't know. I was wondering because, yeah, I was wondering if the, you know, the people who did manage to get that reissued version were working with, you know, something better than what we've been working with or if they're the same. So if you have it, get in touch with us and we want to see you a photo of you holding it with today's newspaper and (laughs) Maybe someone holding a gun to your head. No, that's not necessary. Don't do that. Don't Forget do that. that. Come no on. guns. No guns. No needed. guns. We're 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 not we're not we're not advocates for that here. So we've been talking about these tapes. We had the nothing ever changes tape first, and now we have this self-titled one. If you want to see performances from this era, once the band started kind of gelling and getting together, I highly recommend that you check out the Pulse Basement Jam. Um, which was also something that was involved in the Pisces Iscariot re-release. But if you go on YouTube, you can look up Pulse Basement Jam, and you can see these performances. You saw clips of it in Vuforia when Billy talks about the history of the band where they look kind of all gothed out and they're very young little babies. Yeah, it, it's definitely worth watching. They have to restart a couple of songs. It, it's pretty long, but it's really cool to see uh, the band in that era. Yeah, definitely. And and, spe- and speaking of gelling, I mean, like that this this cassette, it, it really feels like the one thing that struck me overall was how it wasn't just this features sort of seeds of not just what's to come in the neck in the in the first album in Gish. Or even in the first couple of albums, there is little sprinklings of, in my opinion, sounds and styles and uh, you know uh, areas that they they kind of end up exploring throughout their whole catalog. So mm-hmm. I, I, it, this is a really cool collection of songs. Cool. So let's get started. The first track is Jennifer Ever. was a clip of Jennifer Ever. So, Pat, what are your thoughts? Um, well, like 
a lot of the songs on here, I found it to be musically very Cure-like. Um, sounds a little bit like love song at certain points, um, and and seems to sort of. Uh, I don't know if if it, it's obviously the same year that Disintegration came out. It seems like in general they're sort of heavily influenced by The Cure. I also was struck by the backing vocals, which I believe are Darcy, but it's if it is Darcy, as the good people at Genius.com say, it's <laughs> yeah. her singing in a wildly different fashion than, than she does, you know, in any of their official recordings. It's, it's much more kind of loud and honestly more kind of soul, more along the lines of the she's not it's it's not nailing the these the vocal range but kind of more along the lines of the knights of malta backing vocals than your typical oh, yeah. darcy backing vocals more belting a lot you know a lot different than her sort of flatter softer normal vocals if that's her I, i'm not totally sure i'm thinking it might be james I figured he's in there, but it does. It sounds like, yeah, maybe it's James singing in like a, a high pitch or something. Because um, mm. it, you know, it, it did not sound like Darcy to me. It also could just be Billy doing those parts. That's true. That would For the fit overdubs his, fit his mo. Yeah. So this actually predates Disintegration. It's a year before Disintegration comes out, or the release of it is the same year as disintegration but the recording was a year before that to me it sounds like 17 seconds era cure mm -hmm. like the earlier cure stuff more so than the later stuff but i mean there, it wildly oscillates with these songs that's not but the cure has definitely got to be an inspiration for sure i think in these songs proves it yeah the, the cure is all over this um uh -huh. for me it's like the it, the cure this is this tape features their metal influence and their cure influence to mm -hmm. me those are the most uh, apparent influences on display and i'm fine with both of those because i'm fans of both as well so and we yeah. talked about the cure last time too uh we're just gonna keep bringing up the cure because they're a fantastic band and i love them with all my heart i i love them they're one of my top bands along with the pumpkins yeah um, same so there's a solo that is at 129 like 129-ish the guitar solo here that's really cool and has a little guitar trill at the end of it where all the other instruments drop out and then it busts back in It feels very much like the church. I don't know if you remember the church, uh, but uh, it, it's uh, the Seance era. With their album Seance, which I highly recommend. If you're into this type of uh, sound in this song, then I do recommend you listen to the church's Seance. Uh, which is funny because since the artwork on Nothing Ever Changes looks a little similar to the church's seance album artwork, it's it's slightly similar. So there's some comparisons there. I, maybe that's why I'm making that comparison. But I think it's a really cool solo, and I, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's awesome. 
The one thing I also noticed um, with the just the the riff that when it when the song starts, it sounds or rather Marilyn Manson's "Sweet Dreams" riff sounds a lot like this song to me. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I I, it, it, I thought about it and then I I couldn't place it and then I was like, oh, this sound this really sounds like the the riff to Marilyn Manson's version of Sweet Dreams which is totally it, 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 like it it doesn't sound at all obviously like the original version of Sweet Dreams but that particular <laughs> guitar riff really mm. sounds like it Yeah, uh, the Manson connection there because later they would become friends and tour together as well. Not that much later because they were friends during the Melancholy era and the Adore era as well. And I, did they have a falling out? I can't really remember the I history think they between. Did. I think they they are generally friends, but they have many falling outs every once in a while. It's they've probably had it, it's sort of like small earthquakes or something where. Um, you, you you don't even realize they've they've happened, but they've 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 registered to, um, to those who. It's kind of like how he goes back and forth with Courtney Love as well. I think it's a very similar uh, deal. I think they are friends for the long haul, but I think being friends with <laughs> being friends with Billy and Marilyn Manson and Courtney Love probably is going <laughs> to include. You're going to have some falling outs on a semi regular basis. Oh yeah. I really regret not going to that Manson Pumpkins tour. Yeah, yeah. And they also did, there was also a Manson Hole tour, right? Back in the 20 years oh, yeah. ago or something. All yeah, right. that would have been cool. That definitely would have been cool. I was watching some clip of, I don't know what year it was from. It might have been, I, I don't know, but it was um, the two, It was Manson and Billy together and uh Marilyn, Marilyn, as I call him, was singing. Yeah, Marilyn. Brian Warner, to those yeah, of you in the yeah. know. Uh, AKA, Not the kid from the Wonder Years. Right. I was trying to think <laughs> of that kid's name, a.k.a. Um, but yeah, they were singing Ava Adore together, which was uh, which was oh, cool. a really good fit for Marilyn Manson to, to sing. It was sort of a perfect pumpkin song for him to take over. Yeah, I think that I've seen the footage of him singing I with them. Yeah, that's another good one. I think uh, I, I'm a fan of Marilyn Manson. When I was in high school, I definitely loved Antichrist Superstar because I'm a big Nine Inch Nails fan, and I love the production on that. And even Mechanical Animals, I really dug. Yeah, I yeah. I didn't really pick up after that. I kind of lost my way. I like I haven't really kept up with it, but I, I mean, I would love to see them live. I think it would be cool. Yeah, I'm the same way. I didn't really identify as a Manson head when I was mm -hmm. younger. I, I I think I was sort of like, this feels like you can't half step with this. You got, and I was sort of, I, but oh, I was yeah. always interested in him. And I remember, you know, when the Sweet Dreams video came out, that was the first time I saw him. And then I I I didn't have Antichrist Superstar. I didn't own it, but I, that was a huge, you know, I was very aware of it. And then mm -hmm. I, I got really, in, I, then I read his book, oh, yeah. which I borrowed from a friend. And then I did, I, the, the album I got most into was Mechanical Animals. I got, I listened to that a lot for 
a while. But then I sort of then my my affair with Manson kind of ended. But I've always liked him. You know, I've I've always I'm glad he's around. I you know it's mm. it's one of those people where I'm not keeping tabs on what he's up to necessarily. But it's it's good that it's good that we we have him. You know, he's he's I'm not going to say he's a national treasure, but. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe why not? <laughs> the controversy seems so silly now, too. Right. When you I look know. back at it, it's like, really, was it that controversial? I had to hide my CDs. My mom would not allow that whatsoever, and I had to listen to it whenever she was out of the house. Yeah, and my mom, I, to her credit, was always pretty chill about the the things in the '90s that the pop culture things that other parents would often be really up in arms about. She, she mm. I was big into Beavis and Butthead and she didn't mind that. Um, but I remember being in the car with her and maybe Marilyn Manson came on the radio and I turned it up or said like, no, leave it or something. <laughs> and she, she was like, you're, you don't listen to that stuff do you. She had sort of a, you know, it was a worry. It, yeah, she had it. She had to. She felt it, it was sort of like um, as if she had found drugs on me or something, which is a fair concern. I guess he was, you know, open. You were a huge druggie then, too. You were like one of the kids from the movie Kids. Hey, I don't like the drugs, but the drugs like me. What can I say? All right. Uh, yeah, well, that's a good place to... So anyway, you've been listening to Antichrist Super Podcast, yep. uh, where we talk about the music of Marilyn Manson. All right. So the next song is not north, not south, not west, but you guessed it, east. And that was a clip of East. I like this one uh, a lot. To me, the intro sounds like another band from Illinois. If you're familiar with the band Hum, oh yeah, uh, I you know might remember the them. Song Stars, right? That's their biggest hit. Is yeah. Stars? If you say Hum, most people know that song in the album. You'd prefer an astronaut. This song sounds like it's from the previous album, Electra 2000, which is a little bit more rougher. But that that drenched chorus and flange sound with the heaviness is right up that alley. It sounds like it could fit in right in that album for Hum. Yeah, my um, my friend or, or uh, we had sort of a family friend. My dad's best friend from college had a bunch of kids, and my siblings were all friends with his kids. And the older brothers of that family were really into Smashing Pumpkins. And the oldest brother, Sean, who, you know, listened to a lot of cool music, was I remember he was big into SP and he was also very into Hum as well. They're fantastic. If you ever have a chance to see them, they just reunite or they reunite like one, you know, every blue moon. And I got to see them live, and they are so loud and so good. It's like uh, shoegaze music on steroids. Well, I remember, speaking of Beavis and Butthead, when that video would come oh, yeah. on. Oh. 
Hey, Butthead, is it normal for the inside of your bunghole to itch? <laughs> Whoa, is this video over? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's over. <laughs> well, that was pretty cool. I mean, it sucked, but at least it was short. You'd prefer an astronaut and Downward is Heavenward are two fantastic albums, and apparently they're recording a new album that should be out sometime within the next year, so I'm excited about that. Anyway, back to this song. There are alt lyrics for this song, but it's just like um, just the word but replaced with cuz and well replaced with cuz, a cuz here and there. Mm -hmm. Um, that's because that was re-recorded in the 1989 real-time studio session, but was also recorded um, at, at real-time studios in 88 around the same time. Or I don't know. This is where it gets kind of confusing because I think they recorded it two different versions at real-time studios. Uh, and I don't know if it was this version was remixed like Sun was, the song we'll talk about later, or it was just re-recorded. Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting song in general to me what what struck me was that you know right out of the gate it, there's a signature smashing pumpkin sound but it it sounds almost like gish meets machina eras in an interesting way it really oh, that's a good observation yeah. yeah it feels like bookends of of sort of their original catalog that's what struck me the most about this tape in general is that like i said earlier you can really there's sprinklings of not just Gish, which is the you know on the horizon, but uh, all the way to Machina here. It, it's it sounds like Tristessa or I Am One meets a sort of a big jammier. I can't think of the specific one, but something from like Machina One or even Machina Two mixed mixed in there. You know what it kind of sounds like to me, uh, Marquise and Spades, but slowed down. Oh, interesting. The thing I think I liked most about this song, in the context of these early tapes, it feels like Billy is really hitting, to me, his sweet spot vocally speaking. Um, it it's it feels like he's sort of tapping into the power of his voice. The 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 snarl is there, and oh, yeah. whereas in a lot of these, it feels like it's sort of, you know, there's like a kind of tentativeness to to you know the way he uses his voice that or, or mm. in a lot of the tracks on these these early tapes not just this tape in particular but it feels like he's really tapping into what what i think is is great about his voice the snarl and the the power yeah if you compare it to the previous tape the vocals definitely improve it sounds like he's getting more confident in what he's capable of or what his wheelhouse is mm -hmm. yeah yeah confidence is probably a big part of it too and then the backing vocals, I assume, are James and Darcy together? I, I, I'm not totally sure. Yeah, I can't say for sure. I, I'm thinking, because at this point, I don't know. Yeah, they do have Jimmy at this point. I, I'm willing to assume that it is James and Darcy. If you know that, then let us know if that's for sure or not. At 140, I really like the backing vocals on that. I know. I just dig it. <laughs> what we were talking about. I don't know if it's James. Uh, or, yeah, I don't know if it's James or Darcy or both, uh, but I like it. 
Yeah, as I mentioned, the song is drenched in chorus and flange, which is always a sound that I'm way into. And it kind of reminds me of another Chicago band, another great Chicago band called Local H. They have a song called Mayonnaise and Malaise, which was on their 1995 album, Ham-Fisted. And it kind of sounds somewhat similar because they use similar chords and it has a little bit of that same effect with the chorus and the flange uh, baked into it. Do you uh, think that's is that in any way a reference to the pumpkins at all, the mayonnaise thing? I don't know. I don't know what Scott Lucas, the lead singer of Local H, what his feelings are on the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, I don't know if they're friendly with each other or they've even even like crossed paths whatsoever. But knowing knowing the song, I don't think it is a direct reference to the pumpkins. I think it's just a he writes a lot about, especially in those first two albums, about small town boredom. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that might be more of it than, say, a direct reference to it. But that would be cool if he's aping from he remembers this cassette <laughs> song and then kind of apes a little bit of that for that for like as a reference. We have a little board up with all the strings and stuff, maybe tying this together that Local H is somehow making a reference to the self-titled Smashing Pumpkins tape. I'm sure that their paths have crossed, too, at some point, if they're both from Chicago. Local H is another fantastic live band. Great rock band. I highly recommend checking them out. Two-piece band, right? Yeah, two-piece, mostly. They do sometimes have extra people when they're touring, but for the most part, they are a two-piece. They have a new album out called Lifers that's really good that I highly recommend. But overall, I think this song is really cool because it's, it's a rocker. Again, I dig the sound and I really like the backing vocals on it. It's kind of a cool little, like what you said, it's a good book in between Gish and Machina. It sounds like it's somewhat predicting the future of the band. Yeah, definitely. Which is what, again, I was most impressed by with this song and this this tape in general. Uh, Cool. So the name of the next track is Nothing and Everything. nothing and everything and we heard that track in the last episode because it was also on the nothing ever changes cassette something we didn't mention last time in the nothing ever changes episode is that ron rosing is the drummer for that track and for those of you don't know john rosing was the drummer for the marked so it was before they had jimmy but ron came in and played drums on this track And also it was before Darcy joined as well. So I believe it's maybe Billy or James who's playing the bass track on this. Interesting. So this has to be the, this is the oldest recording on this collection of songs. I think maybe we'll get into this later because of some of the other tracks. Uh, I don't want to spoil some of the facts for that, but it, it's one of the earlier tracks because it might have been, I have to, I didn't check this, I should check this, but it might have been uh, one of the songs that he originally demoed or recorded in his father's studio. 
after or during the March and before he started the Pumpkins? I think we talked about this in the other episode, um, but this, or, or or at least that it sounded like Judas Priest, but this really sounds like breaking the law, breaking the law to me. That's that's all oh, yeah. I could think when I was listening to it. Another it's Beavis and like... Butthead favorite. <laughs> We're always going to bring it back to Beavis and Butthead. Yep. Yeah, it's, we said it sounded like Judas Priest because, yeah, their guitar parts on that, especially right off the bat, it has a very Judas Priest-like feel. And I, I remember saying that it also had a feeling, the vocals sounded like Ian Asbury from the cult. It had hints, hints of that. Um, and also the cool metal palm muting. Yeah. Can't beat that. Love that. Yeah. Love that palm muting. Is there anything additional you want to add to this since we already kind of covered this the last episode? Yeah, just breaking the law was really the only thing that I felt I didn't express last time. So I feel I feel I got that off my chest. You have now expressed that breaking the law is well within the DNA of this song that Billy felt like he wanted to break the law by breaking the laws of music. Noise ordinances, writing. maybe? Noise, noise pollution? Billy said, I'm going to Judas Priest this shit. And I'm going to get loud. Yep. And he put on loud. some leather chaps, and he did, leather he chaps, did just that. Some studs. He's saying, Oi, British Steel. And then everybody said, We're not going to take it. That's a different <laughs> different, different deal. But, you know. They, yeah. yeah, that's not even Judas Priest, but it's another defiant type of song. And that's what Billy's doing here. He's saying nothing and everything. I mean, that's already defiant as it is. Right, yeah. Nothing and everything? How can those two things coexist? Sorry, uh, officer. Hey, officer, I'm doing nothing and everything. Yeah, what, are you going to arrest me for everything? What's the charge? Yeah, so that's our feelings on nothing and everything. I hope you enjoyed that. Yep, the end. All right, the next song is Sun Remix. That was a clip of Sun Remix. So why is it a remix, Pat? Do you know? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was queuing you up for effect. Okay, yeah. So it's it's a remix because the original Sun recording was part of the 1988 real-time studio session with Mark Ignafo. I think we, uh, we're, we're going to reference Mark Ignafo again when we cover the Moon demo coming up. Uh, but uh, it was remixed by... Quentin Sanbria, who did this session. And um, so here's a fact about this song. This was originally a song by The Marked, Billy's previous band, called Death of a Mind. Hmm. Yeah. So this was one of the Mark songs that he brought over to the Pumpkins and re-recorded. Uh, I haven't heard... I tried looking on YouTube for some of these sessions or the Marked songs. I couldn't really find any. Uh, I'd be really interested to hear more of what the marks sound like yeah if anybody knows a good trove of, of 
of that if it exists online currently reach out to us we would love to send it our way i know there are some pumpkin fans who like to lord it over other pumpkin fans about how they own certain rarities and i believe that the marked recordings are one of those things where people are like i have them and you don't yeah so we invite you to lord it over us or you know if you're feeling generous point us to where we can listen to them. Maybe there's no, maybe they're not online. I don't know. Maybe it's just kind of a lording situ, hoarding and lording. Be a pal. We'd like to do an episode on the March sometime in the next, you know, I don't know, year or two. Yeah, we got time. We got all the time, however long it takes, folks. However long it takes, we're going to get that March stuff. We're going to wait you out. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that this, this uh, sonically, again, was sort of pointed. I mean, there's a very cure like baseline. But mm-hmm. it felt like it was pointing more to like a zero than anything off Gish, which is oh, which, yeah. which is inter- it's sort of or or just me- metal melancholy. The album uh, metal tracks off melancholy feeling more so than than early Pumpkins albums. If I can remember correctly, I think the self coined term they came up with was cyber metal. Yes, I, I did read that somewhere. Um, th- that's the kind of like when they do the Zero or some of the other heavier stuff uh, that they call it cyber metal. <laughs> and I think uh, this definitely would fit into that. To me, it sounds because that right off the bat, Jimmy, I assume it's Jimmy, has that Tomorrow Never Knows drumline from mm-hmm. the Beatles. If you ever heard that song, Tomorrow Never Knows, it's that... And that already starts off the song. And then it gets very Doors-ish to me. To me, it sounds like The Doors. Like, it's cyber metal meets The Doors. Interesting. Because when you're free-flying with The Doors, man, what do you need a safety net for? And and with a very... There's a solo at 3.55, if we want to take a little sample of that. And this was very, you know, sort of metal, metal like. Yeah, because there's that breakdown around that point where it just goes into the clean, and I, I really, oh man, I dig it. it. It's really cool. It's a cool song. I, it's not one of my favorite of the tapes, but I think it's just such an interesting peek into the early mindset of the band, mm-hmm. of what yeah. they were kind of trying out and experimenting. Because it definitely, we don't hear too much of that in the future there are elements of it but uh yeah i I kind of like this weird drug psych cyber metal sound yeah it's it really is sort of it's it's you know it's an early proto version of kind of a lot that the band holistically stands for or you know Mm -hmm. i don't know what stands for but but sounds like just throughout their their original run i mean even lyrically speaking walking in the sun i never feel the light it's kind of you know it it, it, it's um emptiness is loneliness it's foreshadowing (laughs) you know sort of billy's the lyrical content yeah yeah, zero persona Mm-hmm. Um, lyrics and obviously sound as well. It's it's foreshadow it, interestingly foreshadowing to me the uh, zero era more so than Gish era. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the 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 real time session version that was the original version appears on the Light into Dark compilation along with My Dahlia, which is something we'll cover a little bit later. Um, but the difference is. 
the at the end of this version, there's the flangy wah wah guitar dubs, and it's much louder in the mix and it's very prominent. And the light into dark version either doesn't have it or it's much lower in the mix. I'm willing to bet you can hear a little element of it in that mix, but it's just a little bit lower. And that's kind of the small difference between it. Also, the light into dark version sounds a little bit lighter, and this version sounds like way more abrasive to Mm me yeah yeah all right so the next track that we're gonna hear is a live one and i mean that literally it's a live one in a lot of ways but it is a live it's literally a live track we got a live one folks and it's called she She screams in silence. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, Billy did, someone asked him on his Instagram, among other things, who he considers the, I think they said you've referred to yourself and Cobain as the best songwriters of the 90s. Who are your other, who would you be the other contenders? And mm. I think he did Rivers Cuomo. Uh, really? Surprisingly, yeah. Huh. Billy Joe. I mean, Armstrong. I agree with that. I, I, I'm um, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I agree with that because I, I do love Weezer or, I, you know, I, I have, I go back and forth with them, you know, but yeah. 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 I have sort of, uh, I guess I'm one of those people that's kind of, I don't have, I'm not a Weezer. I'm not an early Weezer snob. I just haven't gotten excited about them in the, in the second half of their kind of post green album i guess but but that's i've also i'm ignorant of a lot i haven't really done a good job or or i haven't really you know listened to all the albums thoroughly yeah blue album to me is perfect it's one of those albums i can listen to front to back uh it's the sound everything about that album i absolutely love uh not to drop uh another music podcast on here but my buddy matt hosts a podcast called what's with these homies talking about weezer and if you're a weezer fan i highly recommend it because he goes through the later stuff too and it kind of brought me around to some of that stuff and hopefully that's what we're going to do with this podcast with the pumpkins is bring you around to some of the later stuff that maybe you might have dismissed give it to me yeah yeah it's 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 got me but you know just doing this has got me more sort of open and kind of excited to because i think when you dive you know when you look at this old stuff with a fine tooth comb it's it makes it all the more interesting to be like oh yeah there's whole albums that that Mm -hmm. have been made and maybe they had different lineups and maybe it was sort of a weird time but it's you know it's interesting it's all part of a musical trajectory and journey and even if you think your favorites are behind you, maybe maybe there's some new favorites that... Also, the thing is, this band, plus a little bit of time for me, it, it, time does wonders. Like, I I was listening to... And we, we do a whole episode on uh, seeing Billy perform so, live solo stuff, but uh, his first OG Lala album, I was listening to some songs off of that recently or a live performance those only just now have kind of 
seared into my brain as songs that I dig and I, like it took it it takes a while sometimes to to get into your bones. Yeah, I was about to say that I was just about to say the same exact thing because now I kind of regret that I didn't dive as deep into the solo stuff when we did that episode because now having lived with those and I really really like uh OG Lala, I really ended up falling in love with that album. I'm still digesting cotillions uh but i still like it but the i kind of wish i had had that because we recorded that episode back in november mm-hmm. right after we had seen the show and i just wasn't as familiar with it but ever since starting this i've been diving in deep to a lot of the the catalog especially with the those recent solo albums and i have such a deep appreciation for them now that i think uh, I feel I, I regret that we didn't have that appreciation at the time we did the episode because we could have gone a little bit more into in depth with that first half. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's also the kind of thing you can't really cram for, you know. It, it's yeah, a, the time, time just time kind of is part of it. it. It just it takes time to to sink in. I think I find that true to a lot of his music to Billy's music because it's almost ahead of its time especially with like future embrace cuz if you listen to some of the 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 music now there's a there's a genre of music that's very in that that ilk mm-hmm. that I wonder well we'll discuss this once we get to that era of the of of his career but there there's so much that ages very well yeah, yeah, and and sometimes you could listen, and Billy is always Billy's always kind of saying things to that effect, and it's easy to have a mm-hmm. knee jerk reaction of like, you're being defensive, you're being, you know, it, 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 if he's talking about something he released that wasn't popular or wasn't, you know, isn't given the respect it deserves, he the, he he often takes an approach of like history will vindicate me sort of and i it, to to a large degree i think he's 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 right often right about that he's often and now right i understand on. i understand that frustration a little bit better where before i kind of saw him as uh, not to use the term persnickety yeah that's got to be frustrating cuz i mean he's so prolific and he's writing all this stuff and then people don't catch up until much later because there's a new generation of fans who really are into Siamese dream and they're really into adore you know there's this whole faction that's really into that but at the time of you know adore's release it was critically panned but it's beloved now adore man and i will i'm proud to say i was always into adore that that came out really at the the fever pitch of my fandom but um, it's sometimes I think it's my favorite Pumpkins album when I'm listening to it. I mean, it's, it's hard to, but then I remember how much I love, you know, the others. But it mm. is, I think it's so, it's such a solid and unique, uh, more than solid. It's a beautiful and, and just totally singular, unique album. It's definitely, um, I mean, it is Billy and the band. I think at the top of their game, it, it it may not be what people think of as the pinnacle of their work, but it was a band at the top of their game. They had been hobbled by some problems and stuff, but um, mm. yeah, it's it's it, it's great. And time clearly has has um, warmed kind a lot that. of people up to that. That's a perfect example. Yeah, I, I I have a little bit of different feelings about as far as them being on top of their game, but I feel like they definitely 
work through the adversity to make something incredibly special and cool. Right. Maybe coming off of the top of their game, they had, they had sort of, yeah, they had recently been on the top of their game and, and, this and they got was, knocked. Yeah. Back this is so what happened in the, the, the long shadow of that or something, but yeah. And then having the drummer situation too, cause they had Matt Walker and then we'll get into this much later when we cover a door, but they were, they were really having to power through that and then having, problems with producers and whatnot and all that stuff it was a real hodgepodge that ended up making something really incredible and special in my opinion so wait uh so billy said also the 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 songwriter what was the other one billy oh, yeah. joe so he billy joe armstrong or he said billy joe rivers i think he referred to everybody kind of by their first name Did uh, you say no gallagher or yep yep and allison chains that's another tour i wish we would have been able to see we tried to but it we didn't know where they they weren't playing L.A. Yeah, I, I'm a big AFI head too. I haven't listened to them in a long time, but I there was a time when I I've seen them several times. Um, yep, and they're they're great. And man, what a great um, what a great companion for uh, the Pumpkins touring wise. I, I think they just you know they 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 really I think there's got to be a lot of crossover in the Venn diagram of people who would be into those two bands. Yeah, I know I am. Well, the little idiots is what they are. Yeah. So back to the the to she <laughs> the live yeah. track. I think this is probably from the live at uh, Cabaret Metro show that I they did on. Yeah. Yeah, ten five eighty eight. I I really like this song. It's kind of uh, it reminds me of like U two meets the Cure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's kind of got a little bit of elements of Killing Joke. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but uh, not super familiar. Um, yeah. It's a little, it's a little different. Like it doesn't quite fit the gish sound. It's them again, like kind of experimenting of what they could possibly do. I do hear more of the U two and Cure more than Killing Joke, but it just like it, it's not until they get to the bridge at three oh seven around that mark where it sounds very pumpkinsy. And it's a little reminiscent of Eye of the Morning to me, that 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 one uh, bridge. I kind of thought, um, just right out of the gate, I could hear a little bit of proto Tonight Tonight sound up top with just mm. the, the drums and the guitar. I assume this is uh, Jimmy playing with with them, it sounds like it. Mm-hmm. I think Yeah, it I think is. at this point they have them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, could, uh, I could hear sort of... Uh, I could hear the the guitar riff and and just the the drums right out of the gate sounded like tonight tonight to me or or sort of foreshadowed tonight tonight to yeah, me. There's an element there that gets more into their poppier side. Something that's a little bit more lighter that we'll hear post Gish that will pop up Siamese Dream melancholy era for sure. The next track we have up is Spite Face.
Spite face. So this is another song that was by The Mart. Interesting. Yeah, he even says uh, Mart in the lyrics. If you look at the lyrics, he's talking about being marked or whatever. Uh, they're, the marked version has slightly different lyrics. So it's a verse or two longer. Yeah, so Billy was in a band before the Pumpkins called The Mart, and they named themselves that because he and another band member had had birthmarks. Oh, interesting. It's interesting to know that this was a different band's song, even though it's still Billy, and Lord knows we're in an era now where Billy sings and sort of owns and weaves together songs from all of his different incarnations and bands and eras and stuff. But this does feel, I think just in terms of attitude or something, like a different band. The muck you up thing. I, I really mm-hmm. like it. it. It's the... It, it, but it's it's got um, I mean certainly it's it, I I think influence wise it's it's got the same stuff that we've been talking about to me it sounded a, a, like something off of maybe the Cure Kiss Me Kiss Me Kiss Me or Head on the Door meets like Pantera Cowboys from Hell <laughs> um, which is a cool combination but just sort of the um, I'm way into that the lyrics and the the claps i think the claps are are there at 140 there's some claps i didn't yeah i didn't really notice those too much or yeah maybe i overlooked that because i definitely noticed some other cool parts of the song but that's that's interesting yeah, there's just something a little different about it that that feels. Yeah, it feel, I, I, it makes total sense that this was a different band's song, even though that's a minor distinction. Obviously, when it's still Billy at the at the helm. Yeah, because it feels more Bauhaus and Killing Joke. Again, bringing up Killing Joke, but it feels more in that vein of Bauhaus and Killing Joke. And it has like the metalish licks too that we had with um, like kind of metalish licks combined with East sounds. Yeah. There's a really cool part at 234. And then that goes into a cool little breakdown um, and a cool down for the song, which I really dig. Yeah, I love how Billy belts it on this song. I love his voice on this song. I've never really heard his voice used quite exactly like this. There's something unique. Yeah, there's something a little different about this song, which which I I really enjoy just overall. And his voice, his use of his voice is is part of that. There's these sort of war cries that that he does starting Mm -hmm. at 125 that I really like. But yeah, it, it, it again it seems like they were generally influenced by the, by where the Cure was at this point, um, sort of getting away from the Faith era sounding stuff, which they did on some of their earlier, or they were sort of referenced on some of their earlier songs, and into the more kind of head on the door, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me era of the Cure. Yeah, and I think that because now the band has had time to be a full band 
playing shows together and being able to jam together with Jimmy and with the influence of Darcy and James, they're starting to find what their sound's going to be. And they're testing out these different waters and they're testing out these different inspirations or things that they're listening to that inspire them. Because we know as creators, when you're first starting out, uh, even if it's a new project or whatever, you're kind of aping the things that you love. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's definitely true with comedy. For me, I know I was really aping the people I looked up to. And then after a while of doing that, I started to find my own voice and my own path. Mm -hmm. And you could definitely start to see that here with this demo cassette. And then when we go into Moon for the next episode, you definitely hear that take shape. Yeah, in a different way too. Yeah, that one, the the moon demo, de and we'll you know we'll talk about that. But that that definitely feels like the training wheels have sort of fallen off uh, in terms of the influences. It, 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 and obviously, they still everybody continues to be influenced throughout their creative career. Mm -hmm. But you do reach this this crucial point where you kind of take off. I think, and I feel like they're beginning to do it here. I think that they are doing it here in the sense that they they've feel like they're gaining a lot of confidence and a lot of you know just kind of boldly marrying different styles i think and again i think it's um with all of the kind of interesting scenes bubbling in the 80s in the late 80s with you know what would later be called alternative the, it, i i really enjoy and respect how they their willingness to kind of be uncool, you know, the, we, yeah. it, 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 because I think the, the, the result of it is very cool and original and bold and kind of courageous, but, but it, it's, it's not, doesn't feel to be in step with, I mean, that's why they're a great band ultimately, um, is this reason, but it, it, it for a, for a fledgling band, and it's also easy, especially having the live track on here, it's easy to see with this tape just how exciting of a band to, to be following this must have been at that time. I know. I was thinking about this last night when I was revisiting the songs and listening, preparing for this episode. I am such a big music fan. And everybody says like, oh, if you had a time machine, what would you? Because at the time of this release, I was six or seven years old. Uh, there's no way I would have mm -hmm. had any clue of what was going on in Chicago, in the Chicago music scene and yeah. this small indie band coming up. But I wish that there was a way that I, I wouldn't want to like change any, you know, uh, historical event or anything like that, because that's a lot of weight on your shoulders. But if I could go back in time and watch certain bands play and just kind of have a little uh, the Marvel Captain America incognito, you know, black mm -hmm. cap you know, it, yeah. just nothing too absurd disguise wise and just not fuck with anything. Just be there just to see the band play and then just completely leave. If you travel to the past, that past becomes your future and your former present becomes the past, which can't now be changed by your new future. Exactly. 
So Back to the Future is a bunch of bullshit. This would definitely be an era I would go back to because I would have loved to have been there to see the evolution of the band. Yeah, definitely. And for me, it feels so close. I can almost, I think the Chicago, I'm from Buffalo, which is not Chicago, mm-hmm. but they kind of feel related in a way. Like people from Chicago talk like people from Buffalo. The accent is the same. It's very, very cold. Lake, you know, lake effect snow. It kind of, because um, I, I, I I heard there's a, like a little snippet of Billy talking at the end of I think the live track on here, and you could hear his mm-hmm. thicker Chicago accent. For me, it's sort of like he goes, can, "Hey, yeah, that's a pretty good boy." Hey, what uh, are you let's doing? Uh, sausage cars. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's go play uh, over there at the sausage factory. Over eh? there with the bears <laughs> and the guitars. Um, yeah, d- 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 so I I could kind of put myself. Th- I think that's the thing that I always related to with this band too is that um yeah they kind of like talk like people where i'm from you can and i know so much of billy's lyrics and stuff is about feeling different and isolated and kind of yeah these guys aren't a california band i'll put it that way (laughs) you know it's it's a east coast cold pull my collar up yeah exactly pull my collar up and face the cold type of deal but to to be in like a sweaty cool little club um witnessing this band unfold it it, it would be uh would be a really uh cool thing and obviously there's plenty of people who got to experience that we'd love to hear from you yeah i do remember that so i probably was in about fourth grade when i got into the pumpkins and my fourth grade teacher mrs flag F-L-E-I-G was how you spelled it. She did a whole unit on teaching us, like, old sayings. She was an older lady, and we did... It was... I really value it because I learned a lot of stuff, but, like, really old sayings. um, Just, you know, kind of... uh, Like, one of them was, cut off your nose to spite your face. And it took me a while to wrap my head around what that meant, but I, um, uh, yeah, that, that, so I think I was learning what that meant um, right around the time that I was also getting into this band. Fun little fact about me, gang. I don't even know what that means. I think it means, like, to do something to, to fuck yourself over just to, or, or sort of, like, um, cut off your nose to spit. Don't, don't do something to, to get back at someone that's, fucking you over in the end um i see something like that something along those lines yeah also just don't cut off your nose don't do it unless you're getting nose you know plastic there was surgery a period in the 1940s where a lot of people were cutting their noses off so it was sort of uh, it was like a psa type thing actually huge problem in the 40s people cutting off their nose to spite someone else yeah yeah so this feels like a good place to end the show talking about wishing we had a time machine to go see the band during this era. And uh, as we said, the next episode, we're going to cover the moon cassette and we're getting closer and closer to the first official release uh, or the first full length official release. And just a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at pumpkins podcast and on Instagram at smashing Pumpcast. That's K A S T. And you can also email us if you have any feedback or if you have any stories about this era. That'd be great. You can email us at thesmashingpumpcast at gmail.com and cast is spelled K-A-S-T, just like on the Instagram handle. Pat, any final thoughts? Um, 
yeah, this 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 has been really fun to talk about. Please tell your friends uh, if you have pumpkin-headed friends out there. You know, let them know and leave leave us a rating or a review. And we're really excited to uh, to bring you more more pumpkin stuff and pumpkin adjacent stuff. It's 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 been really fun, and it's going to get even funner, I suspect. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Smashing Pumpcast. And by starlight, we kiss you. Goodbye. Goodbye.